welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Last couple of Sundays, we were talking about uh, young Samuel, who was in the temple and God chose him even as a young boy. And he was in the temple, he was just waiting on the Lord. And I, I'm so encouraged that we have young people in the house and we're prioritising our young people, bringing them to the house of God because you should never underestimate what God can do with a young life. Now, we've got Nadia uh, Witowski. Nadia heads up our children's ministry here and she does an absolutely phenomenal job leading our children's ministry. It's not a kid's club. We're not just about playing games. She's helping raise an army of disciples. That's what she's really doing. And it's an honor that we get her to come. Can we put our hands together? Make them feel really welcome. Nadia. Hello, church. Sit down, please. Okay, so this is a little bit scary. But I must say, I am... um, I'm very honoured and humbled to be able to share with you today. I've entitled my message, Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing. But before we get into that, let me just indulge myself a bit. I brought in cake. So, but I need two volunteers. I was actually hoping to get some kids to come and try. I just need two of them. Who would like some cake? Okay. Is that you at the back, Jarvis? Come on. Who else? Where's where's Esther? All right, Esther doesn't want cake. So who else would like to try cake? Is she coming? No, she's not coming. All right, one more volunteer. One more volunteer with Jarvis. All right, come on, Pete. You're a big kid anyway. All right, so I made my, um, my famous chocolate cake, and I have two samples of them. The recipes are a little bit different. So this is the first one. So I want you two to be completely honest. Don't feel like you have to say nice things just because we're in front of everyone. So this is the first chocolate cake. All right, have a try of that. And you can score it out of 10. No, and I deliberately didn't put icing on them because I figured, let the cake just speak for itself. All right, what are you scoring? No no icing, what are you scoring that out of 10? Three. Oh, that's only a three. So that will be interesting. All right, Jarvis, put that one down. Pete, what are you going to give that one? Oh, that's six. Oh, six, that's even better. All right, second one, Jarvis, that's that one, Pete. How good is that one? <laughs> you, you, you don't have to swallow it. Do you want to finish it? Is it that good? <laughs> Pete, what do you reckon of that one? Uh, two. A two. So that one is worse than the other one. Yeah. Okay, that's all right. Fair enough. Do you want to put them back? So let, let me... Oh, Pete's taking them both. So let me tell you what I did here. I've done two chocolate cakes. One is just that first one, my regular recipe. I can't believe you, Jarvis, you gave that a three. And the second one, it looked different too, didn't it? 
So the second one is, has got no sugar in it. Um, and it's a chocolate cake, so it's got lots of cocoa, which is quite bitter, which would have made it taste absolutely terrible. Um, thanks, guys. You can go back to your seat. Um, and I did that deliberately. You see, because sugar is really important. I know, I know that there is like a whole sugar-free, sugar-free brigade out there. But do you know what? Sugar is super, super duper important. It makes things taste better. Um, and sugar's actually, you, you may not know this, sugar's the first ingredient that usually goes into a baked good. So if you're making a cake, it's butter and sugar. It might be oil and sugar. You're making biscuits, it's, it's butter and sugar. It's, it's one of the first things. And the interesting thing about sugar, sugar always goes with a fat. So the reason that sugar makes things better is that because it enhances, it enhances the flavour of anything else you put into it. So it's almost like sugar is the, um, the seasoning. It just increases the aroma of that thing. So if you had um, no sugar, say, in your raspberry sauce, it would taste really tart. But as soon as you add just a little bit of it, it elevates the flavour. So it's like super important and it sets up the structure for what you're making. So for me, as much as there's all these people who say, don't eat sugar, sugar's really bad for you, it's still always the first thing and it's still my main thing. And it's still the thing when I bake, I make sure that I use the best sugar that I can buy. So my question to you is, what's your main thing? What is your first thing? Because we all have a thing, you know, we all have things in our life that take priority. So what's, what's your, your go-to? Um, I wonder if we can turn to Matthew 6, 33. I'm going to, we're going to read a really popular, popular verse, and as Christians, we should all know it. And it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, we all know this. We, we all know it in our head. It's just one of those scriptures that's really it, it sticks with you. But you know the thing that I find interesting about this? This scripture has a conjunction in it. So where it says his righteousness, there's a comma and there's an and. So there's the conjunction, the beginning and, and the end part. So I want to just, I want to focus on the first part, the seek the kingdom first. So what, what is that? What is that seeking the kingdom first, making God the priority? Well, I know for me, it's so much about just spending time with him and, and prioritising that. You know, spending time in prayer, spending time in worship and, and reading your Bible and staying connected. You know, it's so important for us to have our spiritual channel connected to the Lord, staying connected to the Holy Spirit. And it's also like ridiculously challenging because life is busy. You know, I don't know about you, but I would have to say just about every minute of my day is accounted for because we just have so many demands that, that are put on us and so many demands that are put on our time that so easily draw our focus away. You know, just before that in verse 31, so verse 33 starts with but. So there was obviously a bit before that. And in verse 31, Jesus was saying, therefore, do not worry about what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
Now, just to put it into context for you, in New Testament times, so this is first century Palestine, life was quite different to what we have here. So they were, they were poor. People were living on a subsistence level, sorry. They were, um, they were constantly worried and constantly in danger of being hungry and starving, especially if their crops failed. The Roman Empire had taken occupation and they taxed them severely. So Caesar taxed them. The, the temple would tax them highly as well. You know, even in the church, they were having to have to bring things and pay money, which often they didn't have. And so they lived from day to day in poverty. So their whole life was about how are we going to get what we need to, to survive? And that was their distraction. And, you know, I know we don't live like that. I think there's very few of us that are concerned with where's our next meal coming from? You know, what are we going to do? Where are we going to sleep tonight? That's not really a concern for a lot of us, but we have our own distractions. We, we have stuff that takes our, our focus off God. You know, there's, there's always things to do. You know, and there's we want to have fun, we want to socialise, we've got hobbies, sport, sport's a huge distraction, technology, social media, Netflix, you know, even Lego. Lego, very distracting. And if you have a child that's into Lego, you will understand exactly what I'm saying. I have a child who's really, really into Lego. So it is like the be-all and end-all. You say, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, I want Lego, Mum. What do you want for your birthday? I want Lego. Like, that is all he wants is Lego. And I bet he's even playing with his Lego right now. And, you know, even actually while I was preparing to speak today, he came and interrupted me to show me Lego stuff. Show me stuff about Lego on YouTube. I'm like, mm, really? It's like he enters like a Lego vortex and, and he can hear nothing other than that. And you can't go and talk to them while they're working on their Lego because I reckon all they hear is blah, 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 blah. And I know that if I want to get his attention, then I need to take him out the room with the Lego and then talk to him then. And I must admit, there's often like no follow through after that. Often he won't listen and he'll just go back to it because that's the focus. That's what they're interested in. All right, so enough about Lego. I want to introduce you to one of my, um, my Bible heroes. If you could turn to Samuel chapter 1, we're going to read verse 1 to 7. First, this hero is Hannah. So if you don't know, Hannah was actually Samuel's mum. And Hannah's story didn't start that great, but we'll, um, let's have a read from verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Eliu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zaph, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penenna. Penenna had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give a portion to Penenna, his wife, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. So this is, Hannah's, um, this is Hannah's challenge. In verse 6 it says, 
And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and she didn't eat. So Hannah's circumstances, not ideal, not great. She was barren or infertile. And in those Old Testament times, to be barren was like such a great misfortune for the family. And so it was tough for her. And what made it even worse was the other wife, she had children. They don't actually tell us how many she had, but it does speak in plural. So she must have had more than two of each. And she tormented her and teased her. But, you know, every year Hannah went up to Shiloh to sacrifice and to worship to the Lord. And her focus was always on God. So Shiloh was a place where the Jews went, um, where they, they had festivals and they had celebrations. But Shiloh was also a place that held the Ark of the Covenant. So that was like the very presence of God. So you knew that that time of the year that you went you were going to encounter God. And that was really important um, to Hannah because she went all the time. Now, she could have been really distracted and thought, no, I'm not doing it. She could have been really angry with God. She could have been really disappointed, but instead she focused on him. really interesting that Penana used to torment her when they went up to worship. And that would just, that would make it even worse. So how distracting would that have been when you've come here to be close to the Lord, but you've got this other noise happening, trying to distract you? So what, what did Hannah do? So in 1 Samuel chapter 1, in verse 19, uh, oh, in verse 9, Hannah, so this is what Hannah does. She arose, and when they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorstep of the tabernacle of the Lord and she was in bitterness of soul and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but I will give you... If you will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. So she made a vow to the Lord. She made made a covenant. She was in the temple. She made a covenant. And in her, her desperation, she actually made a covenant to give to God the very thing that she wanted. So she went to him for what she wanted, but... She said, Lord, if you will give me a son, then I will give him to you. And, you know, she was really specific. You know, this is her putting the kingdom first. So to be able to go and serve in the temple, you had to be male. So she asked for a male child. And, you know, it's interesting how they talk about uh, at the end of it, it says that no razor shall come upon his head. So that means he would have been a Nazarite, this child. And before that... Hannah says that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. So I found out in my research that Nazarites started serving in the temple from the age of 25. The not cutting your hair was pretty much a public declaration that you were consecrated to the Lord. It showed everyone that you had made a vow to serve and and to dedicate your life to God. But this started at 25 and Hannah said to God, I will give him to you 
all the days of his life, not just when he's 25. Because you see, from zero to 25, she could have had him. She could have enjoyed her son and had him in her life, you know, saying, Lord, I will give him to you. He will be a Nazarite. But she would have known she would have had that. But she didn't do that. She said, I will give him to you all the days of your life. And, you know, she, the, the other thing I found interesting, just the language here, she uses the word servant. So already she understands that she needs to surrender to the Lord. And, you know, the Matthew 6, that was written about 1,100 years after this had happened. But Hannah already understood that I need to put God first and put the kingdom first. And, you know, even in that desperate situation, she remained faithful because after it goes on to tell us that she went on to have a son and she actually only took Samuel up to Shiloh and up to the temple when he was weaned. So in Bible days, that was like three, three and a half, four. So she had all that time with him every day. So can you imagine her thinking, I need to take my son up when I weaned him? Like, here you are, like, as a mum, you're building this connection. There's this parent-child bond that's going on. But in the back of her head, she would have known, I made a, I made a vow. I made a covenant to God, and I'm going to give this child to God, and I'm going to put God first. So all that time, she would have had to have done that first and done that every day, knowing that eventually this boy is going to be for the kingdom. You know, someone else that put the kingdom first was Solomon. Solomon was, um, was quite amazing. If we go to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, you'll see that Solomon is actually sleeping and the Lord appears to him in a dream. And God asks Solomon a question and all God says is, Solomon, ask, ask what you want and I'll give it to you. Now, I know if God had asked me that, I probably would have had a list of all the different things I'd wanted. And I'm sure they wouldn't have all been for me, but I would definitely have had a list. Solomon asked for one thing. And his answer was all tied up in the kingdom and God's people. Solomon had just been made king and his answer was this. He asked God for wisdom. And he was, he was really plain with him. And if we read um, from 1 Kings chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 7 to 10. This is, this is what Solomon says. He says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made me servant king instead of my father David. So again, there's that word servant. So important. Solomon also in a place of surrender. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant, who is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And Solomon was also really young. You know, he wasn't four like how Samuel was when he went um, to Shiloh, but he, he was young. I don't even think he was a teenager yet. But Samuel knew what he needed, and he knew that the kingdom came first. 
and knowing that, like he had a vested interest in his life. He knew, I, I have been called to be the king, like this is a job that I need to do properly. And his father would have been a great example for that. And because he wanted to do it properly, that provided the framework for that choice. So that answer when God said, Solomon, ask, what do you want? It was about God's people. It wasn't about him. And that's, you know, I think we, we are all guilty of making things about us all the time and not making things about what God wants. You know, we get, we get so caught up in the busyness of our lives and we've got to do this and we've got to do that and we've got to go here and we've got to go there and we forget that maybe we need to just stop for a second and inquire of the Lord. Do you know that God is interested in the stuff that you're interested in? God is very interested in your stuff, but we, we often sort of overlook that and think, oh, this is how I'm going to do it, and we forget to put him in the mix. And that's what I loved about what, what Solomon answered. He, he said, Lord, I want to know how to do your job, how to do what you have given me to do, and to do it well. Putting the kingdom first. All right, so let's move on to part two. So we'll go back to Matthew 6 and we'll, let's read from after that conjunction, from that comma and. So and, all these things will be added to you. So, you know, in, in this time for, for the, the Hebrew people, all these things were those simple things, you know, they were food, they were, you know, their crops not failing. They were for them to have enough to live. And you know, we, even though we're not starving and we've got roofs over our head, we all have concerns and we all have worries. We all have things that stress us out and make us anxious. And I just want to encourage you today, in all those things that you're concerned about, those things that you don't have the answer to, Take them to God, because that is what the, all those things are. You know, for, um, for Solomon, all those things were actually quite amazing, because God's response to him um, was, like, ridiculously huge. I mean, he, he was a king. He could have probably asked for, you know, I want to have, like, the biggest palace of all the kings that are in the region. You know, I want to have more gold and I want to have more silver and I want to have the biggest army and I want to have all this stuff, but he didn't actually want all that. He just wanted to be able to, um, to lead the people and to lead them well. And I just want to read you God's response to him. So in verse 3, uh, so verse 11 in chapter 3, this is what God says to Solomon. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for a long life for yourself, nor have you asked for riches, nor have you asked the life of your enemies for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. So already God had given him that. So that uh, I, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has been no one like you before, nor shall any arise after you. And then in verse 13, so this is the 
and all these things for Solomon. And I've also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honour, so that there will be no one, not anyone like you among all the kings in all your days. Because he put the kingdom first. You see, if we take care of God's things, he will take care of our things. Right? You know, if we go back to Hannah, um, she, you know, like I said before, so she took her child up to Shiloh when he was weaned. Uh, they went to Shiloh every year. The, you know, going to, going to worship was still a thing that needed to happen every year and to sacrifice. And in chapter 1, verse 24... I'll read what she's done. So she took, so when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And when they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli, and she said, Oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you. Here praying to the Lord, for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worship there. So this was like, I don't think it was like Christmas, because, you know, obviously there's no Christmas yet. There's been no Jesus. But they went up to Shiloh every year. So every year they took stuff up there. They went to the temple and they, they worshipped and they prayed and they sacrificed. So that meant every year Hannah had to go and see Samuel. So imagine that. You know, there's, there are a lot of mums in this room. Imagine you did that. You left your child with the temple priest because you had committed him to the Lord. But every year you had to go back to see him. Imagine the heartache she was feeling. I think I would have changed my mind because it would have just been too difficult. I would have wanted my son back. So Hannah had to constantly choose to put the kingdom first. So every year she would have been confronted with this, this thing, but she always chose God first. You know, and in, in chapter 2, in verse 18, this is what Hannah did and this is what God did her so this is her her and all these things will be added to you but Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod so here is this small child ministering before the Lord you know our kids imagine what our children can do for God you know you don't you don't have to be a big adult to worship and to bless God Samuel learnt from a child how to do it. This is something we can do for them. So moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband for their yearly sacrifice. So she'd make him something special and she'd take it up to him. So that's probably when I would have probably taken my child back because it would have been too difficult. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that she has given to the Lord. And then they would go home to their house. So every year she just left him. 
And in verse 21, so this is the end, in verse 21, and the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived, and she bore three sons and two daughters. As Samuel, so Samuel stayed up there still, and the Lord gave her five children. So Hannah's blessing was fivefold. Hannah puts the kingdom first in this one child that she believed for. And the Lord blesses her with five children. I imagine there was no more taunting from Penana at that time. And that is all she did. You know, Solomon asked for wisdom. Lord, just help me govern these people properly. And the Lord gave him riches beyond he probably could ever have imagined. You know, and when, when I look at the, and I think of the situations they were facing, the two of them, you know, Hannah's would have been pretty horrendous. There would have been lots of, um, lots of anxiety. She must have been really depressed. Things must have been really tough. But Hannah put God first in that. You know, and this is such a classic example of God's interested in what we are interested in. And God cares about our needs. I mean, obviously he does. He sent Jesus. And I think that if we just understand that we need to lean more on him and make him the focus in all things, then he will bless us with what we need. You know, sometimes we get so busy trying to solve our own problems and not asking the Lord, you know, what, what should I do? It's, it's because all we can focus on is, is that thing. You know, it's like, it's like the Lego we're just easily distracted about those things that are right in front of us because we focus on them and we take our eyes off God. And, you know, we can't follow what he wants us to do if we're not looking at him. You know, he, and we'll miss his direction. Sometimes God's standing right in front of us, right in front of the intersection of our life. You know, like the, the aeroplane guys that are doing that, waving the plane in, and we're like, uh... What? Oh, this is going on. You're not going to see where God wants you to be. You're not going to know and you're going to miss out on so much. You know, and I think that if we make spending time with the Lord a priority, life would be so much easier. Right? If, if we seek him first, before we try and solve all our own little problems... How much easier would it be? Because the first thing that you would do is you would actually pray about those things that, you know, that, that are worrying you so much. The first thing you would do is give them to the Lord. You know, and I, I, <laughs> I don't always do this, but I think that sometimes to make God the priority, we just need to shut it all down. Literally shut it down. Shut down your, your laptop, your iPad your phone, turn the TV off, you know, lock your kids in a room, no, don't do that. Um, so sometimes you have to, it's, sometimes it's really difficult to have time with the Lord when the kids are in the house, but just shut it down and, and separate some time to spend with God and make it consistent, you know, and make it like a, um, make it an off-limits time. You know, so if it's, if you're a morning person, make it a like, you know, six to seven, no one disrupts me. This is where I'm going to be and I'm going to spend time with God. Don't let anything or anyone encroach on that time and just make him the priority. Because let's face it, when God sent Jesus, what did he do? He made us the priority, right? 
So let's set aside that time for him. You know, Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah 33.3, I want to just read that to you. I think this is absolutely awesome. It says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. That's what happens when you spend time with him because he knows everything. That's what happens. And all these things. You know, Hannah and all these things, five children. Solomon and all these things, all the riches in the kingdom. Great fame. You know, and I have to ask you, what, what are your all these things? Because we all have them. I have all these things. I have lots of them. But we need to take our things to the throne room. We need to take our things to God and commit them to him and just make him first. Make him the main thing and keep him the main thing. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.